Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And in this one, we wonder about a couple mistakes Rafael Stone has made in the last few months. We also ask if the Astros need to sign a center fielder. And did we find out if the Astros blew an easy call in the postseason? Yeah, we're going to have to talk about that in just a bit. But joining me is my co-host and regular sidekick, a fellow H-Town sports junkie, and veteran journalist Stephen Curran. Stephen, we didn't have to watch the Texans lose this week, but we got a fair share of the Rockets losing this week, and it's getting a little old, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, we're just trading in one for another. Um, Just, I don't know, these next few months, Robert, going to be very interesting. I think Brian T. Smith in the Chronicle, you know, he put it pretty well in a column about it's going to be a long, bleak winter for Houston sports now that the Astros are out of the playoffs and, you know, that the World Series is over. But, I mean, there are some things we can point to, you know, Houston Cougar football and basketball is doing well. So, you know, that's about it. I mean, everything, you could count it on one hand, basically. Yeah, you and I, we have had some conversation about Steven Silas, but I got to keep this going just a little bit because let's start with what the expectation for him should be. And I look at what a mess the Thunder have been over the last two seasons with talent and guys in and out of the lineup. But I feel like their coach, uh, whose name is Degnote, uh, apparently, I, I, I'm terrible <laughs> at pronouncing this guy's name, but Degnote has run circles around Silas. He had their mess of a roster practically in play-in game position last year until they went full tank and shut down Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So far this year, OKC has five wins, including two against the Lakers, and we faced the Lakers a couple times. We saw what happened there. I'm not sure I'd take OKC's roster over the Rockets' roster, but mostly with Silas, for me, it's just the eye test. He came in with the cachet of being this offensive coach, as you and I have spoken about, Stephen. And, and John Lucas, he's running the defense, which is at least mediocre, but I just don't see ball movement or player movement or a team that looks like they have a plan once they dribble it up the court. And I'll grant that KPJ is an awful point guard, but frankly, it didn't appear much better when John Wall was the point guard last year, if you remember. Well, that's right. And I brought this up last year, Robert, and I realize it's a bit soon, or it was at that time, to wonder whether Steven Silas really is the right coach to rebuild this team. You know, when he when he had he had weapons in Dallas, so he, he at least had something to work with, but you know, he's pretty much starting from scratch here. I understand that. And I understand these guys, you know, some of them, they're still teenagers, basically. But I just see such a, like a helter-skelter, inconsistent. When I was watching, you know, we're recording this on Sunday night after the Phoenix game, Robert. And I was watching the Phoenix game, and, and especially in the first half, I just, it, it really amazed me at just some of the the poor passing the Rockets were doing, which led to most of the turnovers they had in the first half and why they were getting the ball stolen or intercepted is the passing game needs a lot of work. You know, the, the offense in general needs a lot of work. They show some flashes and they did in the Phoenix game. They hung with them. You know, they got down early in the first quarter, but they came back, made it 27, 23, you know, and then it was only what 51, 44 at the half. But they still haven't learned to play 60 minutes, or not 60 minutes, uh, 48 minutes. I'm thinking football here. 48 minutes of consistent basketball throughout. And I just think a lot of it is the coaching and the fact that, you know, you've got a lot of young guys that are undisciplined, sure. But 
as you mentioned, the OKC coach, he's able to do it. Why isn't Steven Silas able to do it with these guys? I just expected a little bit better showing than, what, 1-12 and now. During the Golden State game, Silas didn't call a timeout during a 15-0 run that blew open the game. Silas also appears not to understand whether he's developing a young team from night to night. If the organization has decided Josh Christopher shouldn't be in the G League, which apparently it has, then he needs to be getting consistent minutes over DJ Augustine, which finally happened, but he's still getting five minutes. That's not enough. You got to play him more or he needs to be in the G League. And, and that's a Silas Rafael Stone thing. We're going to get to that in a bit. But if John Wall isn't playing to develop KPJ, then Shane Goon needs as many or more minutes than Daniel Tice. And I don't get to the Tice situation a little bit later. But the most, most egregious of all of his bizarre rotation plays is Daniel House, who is getting priority over KJ Martin, especially when you understand that K.J. Martin is not only the obvious player you're looking to develop, but listen to this, Stephen. Going into Sunday night's game, K.J. Martin led all the Rockets rotation players in plus-minus and P.E.R. Those are two major categories that shows show something that he's, you know, he's just a better player than just about everybody uh, that you could put in the rotation coming off the bench, and he still can't get even 20 minutes in a game. And you know how I feel about Daniel House. We've talked about that quite a bit over the last couple of years. I have not been a Daniel House fan since he signed that contract just because of his consistency, his inconsistency, his injury history. His intelligence? <laughs> yeah, his intelligence on the floor it leaves a lot to be desired. I mean, look, KJ, KJ Martin is showing, I think, more intelligence than Daniel House. He put a brilliant move in the second quarter to make that shot that he did in the Phoenix game. I mean, I, I just... The problem with a rotation is when you're giving a guy five or ten minutes, you you can't really figure out whether he needs more minutes until you give him some more minutes. And look, I I know that they're still trying to figure all this out with these young guys, but you know if you're one in twelve, at some point you got to start playing the guys more who look better than than still going with some of these guys that obviously aren't getting the the job done. KPJ another night a poor shooting, you know that that says it all right there. Yeah, the thing that Silas said in the postgame was that there could be some changes in the starting lineup. And hey, it's about time. All Rockets fans are seeing what's going on. And this isn't just Silas. This is an organizational issue. And I want to talk about Rafael Stone for a second, Stephen, because he made a major mistake in the offseason that has everybody completely befuddled. He signs Daniel Tice to play center. Now, if Tice is just a nice vet to put at the back of the bench and teach Wood and Shane Goon, that's fine. But it appears as though... They told him, you're playing. And maybe they said, you're starting and playing consistently. Because why else is he in there? It makes no sense. Christian Wood is a center in the modern NBA. His advantage on the offensive end is at center. You need versatile forwards who have a decent outside shot to play with Christian Wood. Not only that, Shane Goon is absolutely a center in today's NBA. He likes to either play in the post or in the high post like Jokic. So basically, you had two young centers that you're trying to develop but your big offseason signing was a center with the money that you had available, not to mention the Tice signing means KJ Martin and Jay Sean Tate, two of your most exciting and intelligent young players are now fighting each other for time at the three when both of them are kind of hybrid forwards, kind of three fours in the modern NBA, Stephen. That one move, 
just was a domino effect that has screwed up the entire development of the Rockets roster. Well, that is the one thing I would point to, Robert, in defense of Silas, is that I do believe that there is more input from Raphael Stone on these decisions of who plays and who doesn't play than we may think. And I know you and I have talked about this before, that I, I think that's part of the issue, is that Raphael Stone is in there, you know, and now whether he's whispering in his ear all the time about who's playing and who's not playing, I don't know. Maybe you do. <laughs> but that is, I think, the, the big thing that we can point to to say, well, this is what Silas has to work with because that's what Raphael Stone is giving. My next question for Rafael Stone is why isn't Garuba in the G League? There's no way he should be getting playing time with the logjam of pigs on this roster. We just talked about all the centers that they got. You got Garuba who can't shoot at all and basically is a four at the very best, probably a five. And Garuba's offense needs a ton of development. He's got to figure out something that he does well offensively and he can't figure that out on the bench. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, I mean, and that was the one thing I think I pointed to when when they dra- when they got Garuba was, you know, his offense is definitely not there. So where else are you going to develop it but in the G League? That That is a good point. There was a piece on ESPN this week about how John Lucas is developing their young Rockets players, especially Jalen Green. And I want to read a couple of sentences from that piece. Kevin Porter rode the second bus to shoot around on the morning of Houston's 123-111 loss to the Phoenix Suns. This is quoting this article. uh, That followed the Rockets' first full day off in about a month. Lucas requires Green to participate in the early sessions on game days. They are optional for Porter, whose attendance has been sporadic. John Lucas said, quote, It's his third year, and I got to respect that. I'm waiting for him to come willingly. When Lucas says that, Stephen, it just verifies how I feel about Porter. He doesn't like to work on his game, and he doesn't love basketball. And if this is the guy that you think is going to be a star player, and your point guard, your lead guard, you cleared the deck for him. That's a problem. Yeah, and it's showing up in the results because, as I said, he's had another poor night in the Phoenix game, and he just he has he has been continually showing that his head is not in the game. And and honestly, Robert, that's why I keep preaching about that the Rockets just need more veteran leadership. I mean, you're not going to get it from Christian Wood. You know, Eric Gordon may be the closest thing you're going to get to it. You know, John Wall's obviously not going to be in there. But this is the example that guys like Jalen Green are, are watching. They're watching KPJ. They're watching Christian Wood, who who gets hacked off every time he gets hacked and it doesn't get called. You know, it's it's the things like that, the, the disciplinary things that we're talking about that is going to hold this team back if they can't get it together and get a leader on the floor to get these guys motivated to play. You know, the coach can't do it all by himself. You've got to have some veteran leadership on that floor, you know, whether it's a Chris Paul or someone like that, so that those guys can watch an example of what it's really like to work hard and be successful. And the Rockets just don't have that right now. You ask yourself, what are the things that matter in today's NBA when you look at Kevin Porter? And it's the ability to finish around the basket. Well, he stinks at that. I've seen him blow about 4,000 layups and dunks that you can't miss in in today's NBA. You just can't miss those shots. That's a skill, and he doesn't have it. Three-point shooting, it's terrible. True, True shooting percentage, terrible. Ball handling, awful. Uh, His passing was overrated by Rockets fans and media from the get-go. At best, 
He looks like a backup wing in the NBA. And I don't think we need a whole season to come to that evaluation. I think we know that. You know, true shooting percentage is such a a portent of who you are and what you are. He's not getting better from three. He's terrible from the free throw line. Mm -hmm. And he's terrible around the basket. All of that stuff is what adds up into not a good basketball player. Well, and you know, speaking of three-pointers, I mean, the Rockets in general have been terrible from three. I mean, their last two games, what are they, 14 of 63 or something like that from three-point range? I mean, that's that's not going to get it done from a whole team standpoint. Yeah, and we knew that coming into the season. And let's get to Jalen Green because he's one of those guys, and he's not just missing three-pointers. He's consistently throwing up air balls, and he barely hits the rim a lot of times. That concerns me. It's one thing to go, okay, he's got to learn how to – shoot from three, but you know, that, that's something that worries me about him. Number two on, on green Shingun or Tice will set a good screen for him. And he appears to have no confidence to blow by his guy and get to the rim. He just, he dribbles around on the perimeter and finally he either gives up the ball or takes a contested three. That's not good. The third thing, and this is what concerns me most, Steven, and you and I haven't spoken about this yet, but when I was so excited about him after the draft, and frankly, I was excited about him as the guy that they should draft. And, and I'll take the mulligan on this because I got screwed by how he was listed. He was listed at 6'6 or 6'5 on just about every website I found before the draft. There's a huge difference between 6'5 or 6'6, or I'm sorry, between 6'5 and 6'6 and six foot four, which is now what the Rockets list him at. And it's not just that he's an inch or two smaller, but he doesn't have a body frame suggesting he'll ever be a strong six foot four, a, a, a bigger than his size six foot four. And the athleticism, Stephen, matters if you've got height or size. Uh, it matters, but it, it, it's hard to be dominant uh, at, at his size or smaller unless you're Steph Curry who has that incredible shooting or Chris Paul with incredible passing. You have to have a skill that's so incredible if you're going to be smaller than 6'5 or 6'6 and and be a potential superstar in the NBA. Well, that explains a lot of things because, quite frankly, I I thought I would see more from Jalen Green even, you know, what, 13 games into the season than what I'm seeing now. I mean, his his shooting is – I I certainly expected him better as as a shooter, but – as far as, you know, boxing out and things like that, you know, we're not seeing that. So it's an interesting thing that you, and I saw the tweet that you put on that. What was it last week? I believe. And it, it got me to wondering too. It's like, well, there, that must explain why we're not seeing the Jalen green that we thought we were going to see. Yeah. He's not going to get, you know, to be this big six foot four bully ball guy. You know, if he was the size and the breadth of somebody like, uh, Porter, for example, or, you know, James Harden, obviously with those, those guys have those huge shoulders. They've got a body that you can grow into. And what I did not know was that he was only six foot four. And that's a big difference. And even I think basketball reference, I, I looked at it currently and they've still got him listed at six foot six. And he's not, I mean, it's just, it's one thing to be six foot four. Again, it's another thing to be a small six foot four. Baron Davis, I think he was listed at six, five or six, four, depending on uh, where you went with him, uh, where you found it in, in, in the old school NBA. Baron Davis was a guy that was broad shouldered and he just played so much bigger than his size. And, and that's going to be an issue down the road with Jalen green. 
the the reason I wanted Jalen Green was I thought, okay, he's six foot five and he's six foot six. So, you know, he should be able to jump over most guys. And with he, he didn't have that frame, but I thought, oh, I could jump over most guys. Well, he, he he can't jump over guys quite as well if you're only six foot four. And and it's just a huge problem right now. And I don't know if that gets corrected within a year or two. And and, and like I said, I don't know if it gets if it, if it ever gets corrected to the point where he can be that dominant player. And I already feel like man, I screwed it up. I, I was wrong. We should have drafted Evan Mobley. That was the right guy to draft. And um, Evan Mobley, if if people don't know what's going on, the, the Cavaliers are all of a sudden good, and it's Evan Mobley. I mean, they're winning games. They look like one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Uh, they've played a lot of teams tough so far this year. And Mobley defensively is already great. And to be this young and just a, a kind of a rail-thin guy, and to do what he's able to do, I, I tell you what, he's so much overachieved what I thought he would be at this point. And it's early. This is just, you know, we're talking 10 or 11 games into the rookie season. And I'm not saying Jalen Green is not going to be a good player. I'm just saying his ceiling to me, because of his size, isn't what I thought it would be. Well, it kind of makes you wonder, what did the Rockets know about his size and his development? I mean, I you know, initially... Evan Mobley was the guy that I wanted them to draft. And I think as, as I read on more about Jalen Green and watched some stuff, I, you know, I, I kind of warmed up to him more. But Evan Mobley was the guy that I was looking at initially and saying, this is this is who the Rockets need to go after because he could give you that that all-around type of, of game. But, you know, you don't know until you put him in there. And obviously right now, Evan Mobley is, is outplaying Jalen Green. For the most part, Cade Cunningham is outplaying Jalen Green. You know, they they did meet, of course, and I, uh, Green held his own to some extent, but it, it was clear that he still has a lot of development to get with his game. Defensively, he's terrible. It just doesn't seem to improve a ton from game to game. I mean, he's a little bit better. And, and let me just point out, because I've bashed Kevin Porter constantly for a year now, that his defense this year is better. He He has made improvements there. I will grant him that, but it's not enough to go, okay, well, he should be your starting point guard. He should be playing a lot. You know, this is the the guy of the future. But, you know, that's the bigger concern is Jalen Green because you invested the second pick in the draft in him, with him. And this was a draft that was incredibly deep. A lot of guys are looking really good and they're looking like really smart picks right now. Jalen Green isn't so much. And the only thing that sort of saves it for me with what Rafael Stone has done is drafting Shangoon and, for goodness sakes, Shane Goon, give the guy a starting spot already. And maybe that's the move that Silas was talking about after the game. But look, Shane Goon, he's your future and a story. And he needs to be in the starting lineup, period. And if he's not in the starting lineup, then move Jay Sean Tate to the power forward and start Kevin Martin. But let's start playing the guys that are the future and you can, you're going to have to get them off the roster. You're going to have to trade them. And can they wait to the trade deadline? Are you just going to have to like put in suits, everybody, Stephen? Are you going to put in suits, <laughs> DJ Augustine, and Daniel House, and Tice, and all these guys? Because none of them should be on this roster anywhere because they're just getting in the way. At least Eric Gordon helps you win ball games. I mean, next to Kevin Martin, his plus minus has been one of the best on the Rockets, and, and he's actually doing good things out there on the court for the most part. The other guys are just veterans that are showing the young guys, hey, this is what you don't do because yeah. we're bad at yeah. it. 
Yeah, that's very true. I'll tell you something I want to see more of. I want to see Shingun feeding KJ Martin more. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so much fun. And just look, if you're going to be bad, another reason to have KJ Martin out there. He's fun. Same with Shingun. They're fun. They they're ma- they make mistakes, maybe like every young player does. But, you know, KJ Martin's jumping out of the basketball gym and Shingun is making passes that, you know, maybe they're not always on target because the other guys aren't looking for them. But at least I'm going, oh, my God, how did he see that angle? You know, it's, it's, it's incredible to watch those two guys play. Yeah, I, I definitely was was fired up when I saw a couple of times when they hooked up in the Phoenix game. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the Rockets, I, I just I hope they figure it out, Robert. But I, I have to say that, you know, if you're going to lose, lose with intensity and I'm just seeing less and less of it as as the season goes on. It's going to get harder and harder to have that when you're not winning. You know, when they've lost, what, 11 in a row now. So, you know, you're back over halfway to 20. <laughs> it's just it's just not the kind of thing you want to see. And you just kind of have to wonder, you know, surely if you're trying to plug this in and, you know, plug and play basically is what Steven Silas is trying to do. And none of it's working. If anybody out there that's listening, if if you've got stuff that we're missing with the Rockets, we want to hear from you. We're going to try to get some Rockets guests too. Um, this is, it's important what's going on right now because you want to see the development. You don't want to see this thing take years and years. And you want to see not just development from the players, but development from Steven Silas, development from Rafael Stone. These guys have to correct mistakes and correct them quicker than they're correcting them right now. But they have made some major mistakes with this franchise and this offseason. And, and I think it all begins with Daniel Tyson. You know, you don't want to trade a guy out of desperation, but it would be great just to get him off the roster because it would be a ripple effect. You would see more Shangoon. You would see more KJ Martin. We could, we could move forward and see what this looks like going forward and what we have to look forward to. But, you know, that that's kind of my final thought for, for this one. I mean, I threw out a bunch of stuff, but we're going to get a Rockets guest, Steve. We got to get somebody in here because I, I, I know that people might differ with me on, on some of this stuff. And that's okay because, I, I mean, there's just so many varying things that you could do. So, And it's still young in the campaign, but it's just, as, as I said, it's so frustrating to watch them just, you know, they show you some flashes that they could be doing some things, but they just can't keep it up. And it's obvious they're still being outclassed by just about every team in the league. You know, I... I my jaw almost hit the floor when they beat OKC the way they did earlier in the season, <laughs> you know. But ever since then, it, it's been back to the same old Rockets. But I, I do, I will say this, Robert. Compared to the Texans, I still have more confidence that the Rockets are going to turn it around a whole lot sooner. Now, I'm not just saying it because basketball is one of those sports where it only takes maybe one or two players to do that. I'm leaving that out of the mix. I'm talking about from the leadership standpoint, I still have more confidence the Rockets are going to turn it around sooner than the Texans. Yeah, and it goes without saying, hey, we don't mention him because he's just so solid and and I just love the guy so much and there's not anything bad to say about him. And maybe we, we got to say some good stuff, but Jay Sean Tate just continues to do, it's just a rock solid job defensively and, and you, you love seeing him out on the court and good things happen. And frankly, he needs to play more uh, because he's so good, he should be getting a solid 36 minutes a game. He's the P.J. Tucker of this group. But, uh, yeah, we it's worth mentioning Jay Sean Tate because he, he's been an incredible move by the Rockets, whether that was Daryl Morey as he was walking out the door or whether that was Rafael Stone. 
Yeah, absolutely. And he's a guy that I'd say he's the biggest hustle guy on this team. I really believe that. And, you know, if he, just getting some players around him and more consistency, I think he could even be a better player. Let's move to the Astros because there's some stuff to talk about here. We found out this week Brent Strom took a job with the Diamondbacks. Strom said, quote, me leaving the Astros had nothing to do with any disagreements or anything like that. Just a gut feeling on my part that eight years was long enough. It's really in good shape with the people they have now. And that's basically what you would hope Strom would say, Stephen, if you're an Astros fan. It's also worth noting that Strom has a house in Tucson, so not far from Phoenix. It makes sense. What did you think about all that? You know, it, it didn't surprise me, Robert. And, and look, I don't have any inside information as to whether there was anything going on, but I have to take Stromy at his word. I think he's a stand-up guy, and I think that, you know, of course, he's not going to come out, I don't think, if there was something going on. I think it was just a timing thing. I think he was ready to move on. He'd been with the Astros a couple of different times, and as you said, his home was in Tucson. So for him taking a job with the Diamondbacks just makes sense. And he was able to walk. His contract was up. So it was a good, I think it really, it was a matter of timing for him and that maybe he needed a change. And he may have felt that the Astros probably needed a change. As we mentioned before, he's got, you know, the two pitching coaches, Bill Murphy and Sean Miller, I believe, that, you know, he wants to give one of them a shot. So I just think it was a matter of timing and it was time for Brent, you know, to move on from the Astros. And maybe he felt that the Astros needed to move on from him. So no, I, I take him at his word. Yeah, I don't think he's this whole idea. Oh, I'm ready to move on because I'm tired of going to the World Series every year. I, that doesn't <laughs> make any sense. And I want to go, you know, I got to go to Arizona where they really stink and be in that situation. But I, I, I'm guessing it has something to do with it being close to where he lived. You know, like we said, and like Strami has said, it had something to do with letting these younger guys that he'd been working with and probably grooming for the position. Well, don't don't forget, too. Let me let me interrupt, though, because don't forget, you know, when Brent Strom came to the Astros, the Astros were in a rebuilding mode. I mean, they were starting from basically zero, and, and that's kind of what the Diamondbacks are. You know, maybe he's ready for that challenge again. He did it with the Astros, so perhaps he feels, you know, look, I'm closer to home. This is better for me. I can do this with the Diamondbacks. So it, I think it, it, it could even be part of that as another rebuilding opportunity, which – probably would be the final one he'll have. Right, right. And, you know, we wish him all the best. I mean, we love the guy. And, you know, oh, it's going it, oh, to suck to look over at a Diamondbacks uniform and see Brent Strom <laughs> coming out there. <laughs> Isn't it, though? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, we wish him well, but Brent, we wish you were still here, man. So another big story this week. Alex Bregman has wrist surgery. In our World Series postgame show, I made a huge point about Ken Rosenthal reporting that Bregman's had wrist issues all year and made me wonder why we hadn't heard about this and made me even more angry that Aledmus Diaz wasn't playing third base instead of Alex Bregman, Stephen, if he had issues and wrist issues to go along with the other injuries that he's had this year. Why was Diaz not out there? And earlier this week, I spoke with Allison Footer on the podcast, and she sounded just as confused as I was. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. I, I thought maybe she'd have a little more inside info as, or, you know, as to what was going on, but I think she was as puzzled as the rest of us were. I mean, none of us knew until, you know, like you said, Ken Rosenthal brought it up in the broadcast. So was this something that Alex was, you know, keeping from everybody, you know, even the coaches? Because it was obvious that it was affecting his hitting. I mean, it you know, the leg injury thing didn't seem to affect him once he got back and got rolling. But, you know, a wrist injury when you're batting is definitely something to, to keep an eye on. And it was clear 
that he was not the same hitter for a very long stretch. So the fact that he has surgery on this hand after the season, it just makes you wonder why was he in the lineup then as long as he was and just, you know, basically being a liability and, you know, especially in the world series, he was, he was definitely a liability. There was no question about it. So it does make me scratch my head and say, you know, why if dusty or, you know, any of the other coaches were aware of it, why was he still in the lineup? This would appear to be an organizational decision, but just on dusty for a second, Steven, I feel like sometimes he puts loyalty to a certain player ahead of what's best for the team. Well, that's hard to argue with. And, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, why isn't Chaz McCormick playing more over Jose Siri, you know, in the postseason? I think that's a, a prime example. That It just seems like there are certain guys that Dusty will latch on to. You know, whether that's an old school way of thinking, I don't know. Or, you know, maybe it's just Dusty's personality. But it does seem to be, you know, and, and obviously he showed it with Bregman too. He showed it with Gurriel last year. You know, when Gurriel was, it was obvious he was struggling. You know, with Altuve, you, you just, you weren't going to take Altuve out. You just weren't. But, you know, the, the two examples, you know, Gurriel and, and this year Bregman and then Chaz McCormick maybe not getting more playing time than he probably could have, especially after Jake Myers got hurt. So there may be something to be said. It, it, it just makes you wonder, you know, what is it about certain guys that Dusty or, or managers like him latch on to? Another story we got to follow a little bit because Jake Myers underwent surgery to repair a labral tear in his left shoulder and is not expected to be ready by opening day. And according to John Heyman, the Astros are talking to Starling Marte's agents. So you've got Chaz McCormick, Siri, and Pedro Leon, who are all potential center fielders. Do you go out, Stephen, and sign a center fielder with all of these young guys? And, and maybe you're wasting the money on somebody or maybe you're solidifying the position. What is your feeling on that? Well, Starling Marte is, is certainly, you know, one of the numerous outfielders out there. You know, Nick Castellanos is out there, Chris Bryant, Michael Conforto. You know, there's, there's a number of names that you could point to. I mean, you're taking a chance on that just because, you know, if, if you think Myers is going to come back fairly early in the season, then it's going to be a little crowded. Now, what what I think, if if the Astros don't shop for an outsider to come in, you know, it, it, to me, the best thing to do would be to move Kyle Tucker to center for the time being, you know, and then you could put, say, Chaz McCormick and then, you know, Michael, and I'm sorry, uh, Jordan Alvarez, you could you could put him in left field, obviously. Chaz McCormick could do that. Michael Brantley, of course, is going to play right field most of the time. That That's what you're going to see. You know, I'm still not sold on Jose Siri. So, yeah, you might need to bring in a guy like Starling Marte, if you're going to make it. But if Jake Myers comes back fairly soon, you know, then what? Uh, because I do believe that he should be the guy you point to as your starting center field and moving forward, you know, in the long term. If you're doing what there's what you're saying that they could do, then Chaz McCormick, if he plays, he's playing center field, right? I mean, there's no, no question about that. Well, possibly. I mean, he he has shown that he can play center field and you can leave Tucker where he is. I, I just I don't know if I'm sold on him as a center fielder, though. I mean, Kyle Tucker hasn't played a lot of center field, but he looked good when he was in there, I thought. I mean, I thought he at least wasn't a liability. So, I mean, but there are different ways you could do it. Yeah, you could put Chaz out there, keep, you know, Kyle Tucker where he is, Michael Brantley where he is. Alvarez can play occasionally left field, but DH most of the time. So you you could do that. But it does make me think, 
that they're going to move with somebody from the outside, like a Starling Marte. You know, Chris Taylor is a guy who's out there who could play all three outfield positions. So, I mean, you could even bring him in and and have some depth at, at all three positions if you wanted to. The thing is, I don't think Tucker moves to center field unless you've got somebody that you're excited about to be the DH because Jordan Alvarez is a pretty darn good DH. And if you're going to move those guys all around, like you're talking about, Steven, then who is the DH? And is that guy better than the guy that you would have had in the outfield to where you were moving Tucker, you know, over to uh, center field? Well, if you move Tucker to center and you put Chaz McCormick in left most of the time, that's, that's what you're going to have. So it wouldn't hurt as far as the, I, I mean, I think Alvarez does need to be your DH most of the time. And remember, this would be a short-term fix. If Myers can come back strong, you know, they're, they're saying he'll be out till after opening day. Well, that could mean late April, could be May, could be later. I mean, you, the, the problem is you don't know how serious this is. I mean, it was obvious in the postseason when he was not playing, even though he was active in the ALCS, he was not playing. So that told you right there that something still wasn't right. And then when he has surgery and he's going to be out past the opening of the season, then there's a lot of what if that goes into that. So it, it could very well be that you're going to probably sign somebody like a Starling Marte or, you know, one of the other free agent outfielders out there just because you don't know if this is going to be long-term or not. Yeah. The thing is you've got Michael Brantley for one more year. So Starling Marte gets signed that means maybe he moves over to left field once Michael Brantley's gone. And so you've got your center fielder is Jake Myers. Because Jake Myers, he's the center fielder of the field. I mean, power, oh, absolutely. speed, yeah. defense. What else do you want? Yeah, he would be your center fielder if he gets in there. But but that's the other issue, Robert. You just brought it up. Is you got to look long ter- long-term with this either. If you got one more year with Brantley, you know, he's probably I, – I would be shocked if he comes back for another term. I really would. So – this would be a move for a lot of different reasons, not just to try to fill a stopgap until Jake Myers gets back. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. Jake Myers has got to be your center fielder, at least, you know, until he proves that he's just not strong enough to come back for most of the season. That's the guy you're going to point to. And somebody like a Jose Siri, you know, I just, I feel like he's more of a minor league guy. He, he could be a pinch runner for you or something like that. But with his swing and miss propensity, I don't see it. And Chaz McCormick, you know, he's shown some flashes, but I still need to see more out of him before I'm going to say he's a regular outfielder. He's still got to hit a little bit better than he has. If Jose Siri is on the roster, he's defense, he's speed guy, uh, whatever. But honestly, I kind of would rather see Siri back in the minor leagues and say for the first couple of months, Siri, you're working on seeing the ball better. Don't swing at everything. You've got to have better at-bats. And he's 25, 26, however old he is. He's not a young guy anymore. But he did show a ton of improvement this year in the Astros organization. And maybe you work on some things with him for the next couple of months. And that that's what I would prefer to see him be doing rather than, okay, well, he's going to be uh, somebody for defense. and Because you can make him into a better player. And what you need him to be a better player for is if you put him on a postseason roster because there's some injuries late in the year and, and he could give you that depth. Well, I think that is the ideal situation that he start back in the minors and work on it because he did make some improvements. I mean, it was really, his strikeout ratio was through the roof when the season began, despite the fact that he was having a great season offensively, but 
you've got to cut down on the strikeouts. And he did that, but he still has a ways to go. I'm, I'm still not, I'm not going to put him as my starting center fielder with the hitting the way it is. He's got to work on it some more. So, you know, the, the Astros do have some options to play with, but it, it certainly does hurt that Jake Myers is not going to be back at the beginning of the season. He's not going to be in spring training. He's going to have to build himself back up. So it may take a couple of months, you know, if not longer, just depending on how he rehabs during the offseason. So you're probably going to see a guy from the outside come in, whether it's Starling Marte or Castellanos, you know, Chris Taylor, somebody like that. Yeah, it sucks because you have an injury to maybe another Astro player that you know what they're going to bring to the table. You go, okay, but you, you want to see Jake Myers go through a spring training where he's got the job. You want to see him get some consistent playing time instead of where he's in and out of the lineup. And even when he comes back, I would assume he's again going to be in and out of the lineup because, you know, it's dusty. And if he was starting in spring training and they said from the get-go, you're the starter, then there would have been a much better chance that he's got the job for the year. But now it means it's another year of sort of wasted Jake Myers because he isn't playing on a regular basis and he's not 22 anymore. He's 20, you know, mid twenties guy. And it's just, it sucks because it looked like he could be a future star and maybe could make up for some of the loss of Carlos Correa. Yeah, there is that. (laughs) So, you know, there is still that you're dealing with. And, you know, that's another issue we're going to be talking about for a long time until something actually happens is, what are we going to do? Who's going to, who's going to replace Correa? So, you know, you've got guys in your system, but the question is, are they ready yet? I knew there were gold gloves, Stephen. I, I found out this week there were platinum gloves. Correa's winning every form of metal that there is in a glove. Yeah, I noticed that too. And, uh, you know, it's not surprising because I'll tell you what, Carlos Correa was at, as good a defensive player as anybody in the major leagues. I don't care who you're talking about. I don't care who you're stacking him up against. He made so many great plays look easy at shortstop. I mean, that's what it is with him. And, and oh, by the way, the guy can hit. You know, do they give away platinum bats too? But, yeah, the platinum glove, I mean, I mean, the guy did it with his glove every bit as well, if not in some cases better, especially in the postseason when the stuff like that really gets magnified than he did with his bat. And thank you, Major League Baseball, for finally recognizing Yuli Gurriel's defense. Well, I'll tell you what, Yuli Gurriel made a lot of the other fielders like Alex Bregman (laughs) look really good at first base. He is very underrated in that position, you know, and that wasn't even his natural position. Of course, he was a third baseman for the longest time. He he took uh, first base and really ran with it once he got it. I mean, he makes plays just, as I said, he saves the fielders. How many times did he keep his foot on the bag? from a bad throw and saved a play that could have been a safe call. Yeah. Just, uh, you can't say enough about what he's able to do for the Astros from that perspective. And we forget about it or you kind of gloss over it and it gets missed in all the shuffle with all these guys doing great stuff. And it's just, it, it's so underrated because, you know, he's got the bat too. You know, he, he did, by the way, win the batting title. Hello. <laughs> that, that's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, I did at 37 too. I mean, I, I just, I was so happy for Gurriel because of the miserable season he had last year, especially in the postseason. I mean, I couldn't, you couldn't ask for it to happen to a better guy to not only come back, but come back and win the batting title. I mean, that's great. Now, you know, that's another issue I think in the next year or so that 
the Astros are going to have to address is, you know, first base because Yuli's not getting any younger. You know, how many years is he going to come back? But right now, you got to love where he is and the fact that, you know, he's a great defensive first baseman and he hits so well. You know, he's one of the many reasons that the Astros got as far as they did. Let's go to college football because there was a lot going on this weekend. Really interesting stuff. The Cougars, the Houston Cougars, won their ninth straight game. So in oppo world of the Texans and of the Rockets, they've got a great winning streak going. They handled Temple pretty easily. That puts them in the AAC title game against Cincinnati. And as long as the second-ranked Bearcats take care of their business, uh, that is going to be a fun game later in the season. Also, Clayton Toon hasn't thrown an interception in five games. Wow. I'm wondering... Yeah. I'm wondering if this moves U of H ahead of the Aggies in the top 25, Stephen, because watching Matt Corral go up against Zach Calzada Saturday night didn't seem like a fair fight, and the Aggies now have a few more losses than the, the Cougars do. Well, according to the Houston Chronicles rankings, the Cougars are the number one team in Texas. I mean, you know, you see those every week, and it kind of goes back and forth. The Aggies were there for the last two or three weeks, but, you know, because of what's happened to them and because of, you know, the complete – crumble nosedive that the Longhorns have had, the Cougars, you know, in my opinion, are the number one team in Texas, Robert. So, you know, you, you got to start somewhere, right? You gotta, you'll be number one in Texas. You got to crack that top 25. So, yeah, it's amazing what U of H has done. And and Clayton Toon has certainly been the difference. I was pretty skeptical about him for a long time. But, man, you, you just, you know, until he stubs his toe again, you got to love what he's doing. And the, the Cougars defense, I mean, I know it was Temple – but they certainly played much, much better than they have the past couple of weeks, holding them to just eight points. So, yeah, the Cougars are definitely uh, moving forward in that game in Cincinnati. Man, that's that's going to be something to behold, hopefully. Baylor might have a say as far as best team in Texas because they did just beat OU this weekend. That's That was a pretty good win. I well, mean, they, that's true. They did. They did. You got to hand it to the Bears, too. They lost to TCU, though. Uh, they had stubbed their toe last week, so that's part of the problem with that. There, They've been... Uh, a little bit up and down the last few weeks, but yeah, there there would probably I don't know they would probably beat U of H with if they played on a, on a neutral field, right? I yeah, I'd have to say. I mean, like I said, until U of H beats a top twenty five team, and and Cincinnati is certainly going to be the test for them. You know, if they hang with Cincinnati and lose, then I still say U of H is on the right track. But if they get blown out, it kind of just makes you wonder, you know, where are they really? But until that happens. You got to love it because, as we've said, Robert, Houston sports is just taking a complete nosedive now that the World Series is over. You got to hang on to whatever you can. And right now, the Cougars are winning. Chance of SEC, SEC rang across Daryl K. Royal Stadium Saturday night from Jayhawk fans, Jayhawks fans for the first time since 2008, Stephen. Kansas won a road game in the Big 12. Oh, my God, what a mess it is over at the 40 acres well you know maybe just the fact that kansas was finally able to beat them maybe they should uh chant for them not to go to the sec maybe they, you know maybe kansas is on to something but yeah i tell you robert it you know every week it's it's something it just and we're not even talking on the field just as much off the field as just the the shape this team is in from a mental standpoint and a leadership standpoint you know a couple of weeks ago you got one of the wide receivers going off on the coach He's left the program, and then after the game, the weekend, you know, this, the last weekend, then the, you know, the defensive coach Bo Davis makes the rounds of a video that 
you know, every other word is an expletive going off on the players on the bus because they're celebrating after a loss. You know, I mean, they they certainly showed at times in the Kansas game that they played inspired, but then they just totally lost it. So, it, yeah, it's it's a real mess in Austin, you got to say. And Steve Sarkeesian's first season is definitely not cracking up to be the kind of season that I think anybody was expecting. Did you know this is their longest losing streak since 1956? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I wasn't even born, Robert, neither were you. So, and I followed the Longhorns for decades. But yeah, this is about as big of a free fall, I think. You know, you, you kind of go back to the John McAvick era. They didn't look particularly good. But, but even then, they were just barely over 500. You know, they, they're going to be lucky to, to barely even make bowl eligible at this point. So the only, th- only thing that we haven't talked about yet is Houston Cougar basketball. And they started action this week. And it was fun to see him back out on the court. But in that first game against Hofstra, Hofstra we saw, Stephen, it, it, it's going to take a little bit for this team to come together. Because you start looking at that roster and you're like, yeah, this doesn't look anything like the Vinyl Four team. Most of these guys are gone. Sasser's still around. And he sort of carried them late in that game. But they they got a long way to go. But Kelvin Sampson, he's one of the rare coaches in Houston that I have total confidence in. Total confidence. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you're talking about a guy that knows how to lead a team, you know, that that coaches like Steven Silas or, you know, some of these NBA coaches could take lessons from, Calvin Sampson's your man. You know, I watched the Hofstra game. I, I didn't get to see the Rice game. Of course, you know, U of H blew them out pretty good. But I did watch the Hofstra game. And, yeah, they were very shaky for most of the game. And, you know, even in the second half when Hofstra started missing shots and couldn't make baskets, the Cougars couldn't capitalize on it until the end, but, but they did make the run at the end when they needed to. And so, you know, it is going to take some of these guys. You've, you've got Sasser, you know, you've guys got guys like Trayvon Mark and some of these others, but you've also got a lot of new names stepping in, a lot of transfers and guys that are still getting used to each other, you know, and, and Cal and Samson's still trying to figure out the rotation. I think the Cougars are going to be fine. And, and a lot of that reason, as you said, is Calvin Sampson. He, he can whip these guys into shape faster and better than just about any coach at any level that I know of. Tremont Mark was injured. He hasn't played yet. So they got to get him back in the lineup. It's not serious. So that's going to be a big deal when he gets back because, you know, he's one of the veterans and one of the guys that can score. And Mark looked like a potential future star last year at times. Yeah, he did. And I can't wait for him to get back because he was one guy that certainly, you know, when he came off the bench last year, he was quite something. And so I, I just feel, you know, it's only two games and they definitely got it together against Rice. So, you know, Cougar basketball, I think is something we can be excited about until we see otherwise. Any other notes from sports? Anything that I missed? Uh, Rockets, Astros, Texans. Tech, you want to talk some Texans or you, you feeling like you've missed out a little bit with no Texans this past weekend? Or <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. I, I actually felt good. It's like, well, the Texans didn't lose today. I, I was very excited about that, Robert. And uh, you know, I, I just wish I, I, I just have never seen a team so listless. I, I don't know how you get out of this situation. It just it's crazy. And they're a professional football team. They're not, you know, they're not at the high school level. They're not even at the college level, but they, they play like they're at, you know, maybe a JV level. Like the kids just don't want to go out and play. But yeah, I don't I don't really want to end the show on a Texans note. Do you? No, I, I was going to mention a former Houston, do you remember what the XFL team was called here? Do you remember that? Yeah, the, what was it? 
the rough, the roughnecks. It was the roughnecks. That's it. Houston roughnecks. There you go. And yeah. Uh, hey, a former roughneck, PJ Walker. PJ Walker's undefeated. 22 for 29, and he crushed the Cardinals, the the DeAndre Hopkins-led Cardinals in this in this uh, game on Sunday. Wow, the Panthers with the shocker against the eight and now eight and two Cardinals. Yeah, unfortunately, now that Cam Newton's back, he may be sitting on the bench more. But I tell you what, you know, look at uh, PJ Walker. Well, he was five and zero with the Roughnecks, and what is he two and zero since coming back to the NFL? The guy's unbeaten, Robert. So, you know, I, I just, I mean, when I was watching him with the Roughnecks, the few games they played, I was like, you know, I know this is the XFL, but somebody's got to give this guy a shot in the NFL next year. They've got to. So thankfully the Panthers did. So yeah, you got to get it to PJ Walker because he is definitely doing something. Yeah. Maybe he could be a quarterback for the Texans one day. I don't... <laughs> oh boy. Wouldn't that have been, well, you know, it's funny. I, we said, I, I might've even made the comment when the Roughnecks were still playing hey, maybe the Texans can sign him as a backup because, of course, at the time, we figured Deshaun was still going to be the quarterback of the future. But, man, what kind of a backup you would have had with P.J. Walker? Yeah, we both talked about it. I think we we had a conversation about that, I remember. And, yeah, yep. uh, P.J. Walker, you know, congratulations to him for sure. The last thing I w- wanted to mention, Stephen, and this is just sort of away from the games on the field, but it's a show that I've found 30 years later, a, a television show. 30 years later, and there's a sports connection to it. There's a show called Brooklyn Bridge. It's yeah. It was a show from 1991 to 1993. I think a lot of people out there go, what are you talking about with this Brooklyn Bridge show? Well, created by the same person that did Family Ties, Gary David Goldberg. It was about his life, and he grew up in 50s Brooklyn. It's It's a show about 50s Brooklyn, but the real sports connection is that's Brooklyn Dodgers territory, and they talk a lot about the Brooklyn Dodgers in that show. And Jackie Robinson gets mentioned, and Duke Snyder. And there's an episode where they're waiting outside of this uh, hotel or, or, or complex because they hear that Duke Snyder—that's where he lives. And they're 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 yeah. doing storylines with like a whole show was about Jackie Robinson being traded from the Dodgers to the Giants and the disappointment. You've got to check this show out. Anybody out there that's a big baseball fan and that you know has an affinity for the old Brooklyn Dodgers, I know um, that's a team that's it's kind of in, in lore because of Jackie Robinson, and it was the end of the, the Dodgers in Brooklyn as well, those 50s Dodgers team. But it's just a, a really authentic, sweet show. If you like the Wonder Years, it's kind of like the Wonder Years where it has this real authenticity in a, in a time of, you know, where everything is fast and quick and violent and this and that. This is a total family show. It's an old school, just really sweet show. And I, I can't recommend it enough, Stephen. You know, I remember that I didn't watch the show, but I certainly remember it. It was very popular in the early 90s. And isn't it funny, Robert, how, you know, some shows when they come out and when they're hot, you don't really pay much attention. And then 10, 20 years later, maybe, you suddenly you, you find yourself watching one and then you go, oh, why didn't I watch this before? I mean, that's happened to me on several occasions. And now that you've mentioned it, you know, especially because I'm a big baseball history guy myself. I mean, I love reading about the Brooklyn Dodgers, the old Yankees teams, you know, even though I'm not a Yankees fan. <laughs> I love reading about Ruth and Gehrig and, you know, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robinson. 
So I may have to check that show out just based on what you said. You don't need Hulu. You don't need Netflix. You don't need Disney Plus. You don't need any of that stuff because it's not on any of that stuff. I found it on YouTube. Somebody or many somebodies have posted up episodes, full episodes, no commercials. Just look hmm. for type in Brooklyn Bridge full episode and you're you're going to have to kind of search one by one. If you go after the first episode though, they have a play. It's a playlist of basically the first right. eight episodes. So you don't even have to really go anywhere else for at least those first eight episodes. And it's, it was a 30 minute show. You take out commercials. It's less than that. The first show I think was an hour, but after that it's a 30 minute show. There was only 30 some odd shows. I'm about 20 into it at this point. <laughs> Somebody's been binge watching, obviously. Yeah. They're, they're all good. I mean, I've, I've been doing this yeah. for a few, I mean, it's been a, a few weeks and, you know, taking some time off, obviously, when the Astros win the playoffs, but can't recommend it enough if you're a baseball fan or you just want, you know, like a sweet fan. It's, it's one of these shows that, like, if you got kids, if you got yeah. little yeah. boys, especially because the it's about this family in Brooklyn. There's two boys and then their parents and then the grandparents. The grandmother's played by Marion Ross, who was mostly known for Happy Days, and she was uh, the mom, Mrs. C, on Happy Days. So the older people know what I'm talking about, oh, yeah. but... Yeah, not really anybody else in there that you, you, you're going to recognize, but you know, just something to keep an eye on. Are, are, are you are you watching anything? Is there anything going on, Stephen, that you you would recommend, or any, any sports stuff that you found outside of watching the games these days? You know, I really lately, just because I've had so much work going on, uh, I haven't. I, I, there's a show that had, it was on Hallmark. It's been on several different channels called Heartland, which is it, it's actually the setting is in Canada, but it's it's kind of like a Western, you know, it's, it's on a ranch. It's, it's about horses and, uh, they, they take in rehomed horses. It's a really good show. And, uh, that one's on Netflix. So you can easily find it there. Um, watched, uh, the guilty, a Jake Gyllenhaal movie the other night. So I've had a chance to watch a little bit of things here, but you know, with uh, of course the Astros not being in the world series and just, you know, the Rockets and Texans being so depressing, I might have a little more time to watch some of these shows uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you need something upbeat if you're trying to watch yeah, the Rockets and the sure. Texans. Well, uh, until next time, hopefully we'll talk to you after a Rockets win or a Texas win, Texans win sometime in the next week or so. But uh, have a great one, and we'll catch you later. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.